Well, good to be with you this morning, worshiping the Holy One of Israel. Amen. And with all our uh, brothers and sisters in this part of the world, you might have already noticed I have accent. Right? <laughs> and uh, I don't live in U.S., I live in India. And uh, we as a family, we travel overseas once in a year. Uh, as a plan and purposes of God in our lives and through our lives. Uh, so, you have to, you may have to little concentrate to understand my accent. And uh, anyway, you know, you, you're the country of, of the people with accent. We, we just came back from uh, Texan. They said they don't speak, they don't speak English. They said they speak Texan. <laughs> and uh, we just came back from the world of Texan. To the country of Kansas, right? <laughs> so, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. So, it's so wonderful to be with you, friends. And uh, we really uh, feel privileged and honored to be with you. Uh, just to be with you. And uh, we heard about you through our friends in London, Ontario. And they connected us. And we didn't really work out that it would work this year. And when we wrote an email and... Uh, we were just planning our trip, and we sent out an email, and uh, it was good. You answered it quick. <laughs> uh, and we thank you, uh, Dale and uh, uh, Teresa, for your uh, obedience to the Lord. Uh, otherwise, we should have not been here today, met all these precious people. And we had a wonderful time with CJ, his wife, and uh, his kids. Looks like we have so many things in common, Caesar and me. You know, he traveled to Iraq, I traveled to Iraq, he was in India, I was in India. You know, he's in U.S. and I in, I'm in U.S. And he said he went to Canada, I was in Canada. So there's so many things in common. You know, and uh, looks like this also looks like a little different. Our colors look a little different then, right? Yeah. <laughs> And I look this side, I feel like I'm in Africa. You know, I was in Sierra Leone, and I was in Ghana, and I was in Kenya. You know, I just feel like I'm in, in you know, yeah, I like those guys there. You know, I like this dancing, you know. <laughs> I, like I like it. <laughs> I look this side, and I see my brother from Bangladesh, and... He's our neighboring country, and we have friends from all over. This looks to me, our friends from Malaysia, uh, the Indians in Malaysia, and, uh, you know, it looks, like the, it looks like a heaven here. You know, yeah, all colors, all languages, all nations. Amen? Yeah. That's how the kingdom looks like. That's the church. That's the kingdom of God. We are all one, in respect of where we come from and what color, what language we speak. We all are cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have one heavenly Father that allowed all of us and sent His only Son to die for all of us. That amazes me. We have such a big family wherever we go. And we have brothers and sisters and we have brothers from Nepal who is also our neighbors in India. To India, so it's it's wonderful, it's amazing. I feel like I'm in a United Nations of 
all nations here. All colors, you know, all races. It's amazing. That's the church. That's the church. And I congratulate you, friends. Just proving to the world that we belong to heaven, not to earth. That we have one daddy in heaven and we are all the children. Through our love towards each other, Jesus said the world will know that we are his disciples. That's amazing. Wonderful, brother. Wonderful. Hey, um, I know we in, we in India, I, I preach for at least three and a half hours. That's my normal sermon. <laughs> so because this is a special thing, I may take a couple more hours. <laughs> so we can have our dinner here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I understand Africans are ready for that. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you for giving us, uh, just accepting us as a part of your family. I have my daughter Bethany here. Benjamin, can you stand up and come? Maybe let the people see. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. And you know, this is the Father's Day. It is good for us. Let the ladies talk about us. <laughs> that was great, Lisa. That was great. So, now this is one time that I want to hear what the ladies say about the men. <laughs> so, we, we preach every Sunday. So, let the ladies preach this Sunday and... Said, let them know how they feel about us. <laughs> so it's wonderful, friend. We we travel as a family and we serve the Lord as a family, and um, it's it's real, real privilege and honor. And uh, before I share the word, I just want uh, I wanted my wife to introduce you uh, herself to you, because many times people ask us, where did we meet? How did we meet? So that is one of the very frequently asked questions. So, my wife is going to answer for all of you at one time, so that we don't have to talk every time to everybody, and then we'll go from there. Well, good morning. Um, it is good to be with you, worshiping the Lord. That was wonderful worship. Thank you, uh, worship team. And um, I don't have enough time to go into every detail of our story, but I know some of you already took the book, and any of you who didn't get it, it's chapter 15. It's called Blonde and Blue. That would be me. Um, but I'm from Canada, so I also have an accent. Um, a, I don't use that very often anymore, but... Um, <laughs> It's our first time to Oklahoma, so we're just kind of feeling you out, and you're, you're wonderful. Thank you for the hospitality down south. Um, <clears throat> I, I was saved young when I was seven. I just wanted to serve the Lord. I was baptized when I was 10, and when I was 12, God called me to be a missionary. Just put it on my heart. And as I was growing up, I, I just said, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And never in my wildest dreams did I think that was India and marrying an Indian. I thought I would marry a tall, blonde cowboy. 
and we don't have many in Canada. <laughs> so we don't have many in Canada, so I thought that meant an American. God had other things in mind, and he put India in my heart in 1996, and I didn't know where to go. I didn't know anybody there, and I, I just told that to the Lord, so he brought this man a week later to speak at a church in Winnipeg, where I'm from, and he gave an invitation, come to India, come and help us with Love and Care Ministries, help teaching the children, um, evangelism. And uh, he said, come six months, a year, or as long as you want to come. And he said, get your flight ticket over, and while you're with us, we'll provide the food and accommodations. And for your information, that still stands. So, Did you hear that? It's a cheap mission trip. You just need a flight ticket. When you're with us, we take care of you, and we go do evangelism and crusades and It's wonderful. So please come and help us. We'd love to have you in India. So that's how I went. Just actually ready to be a single missionary the rest of my life because I'd asked God to arrange my marriage. Prayed that way for about six years and he didn't say anything. So I went to India ready to be single. And within three weeks of being there, God spoke to my heart very clearly and said, he's your husband. And um, it's me. So the rest of the details are in the book. And um, <laughs> God has a sense of humor, and, but he, has, he knows what's best for us. And he did tell me that if I leave the choice to him, he'll give me his very best. So he was faithful to that. I've been in India 14 years now. I went in 97. And really, it's a privilege. It's a great mission field. But um, I think I was sharing with Lisa last night just how I've seen the spiritual atmosphere in India change in these 14 years from being so difficult and so much darkness and such a battle to now just an open heaven. And it used, they used to say there's 3% Christians in India, and now the believers believe and are saying there's 15 to 20% Christians in India. <laughs> from a country with over a billion people because God is moving we're always baptizing people you saw wherever we can find water and God is really moving so you can come and join us help us please pray for us we have the brochures they're free to take we have the books uh, just for any donation if you don't have any money just please take a book and just pass it on and um, just it's really telling what God has done in India. It's wonderful. Um, and then we also have, um, you know, what we mentioned, pastors, church planting. And um, our, our focus is planting churches. So we have over 300 churches and all over at different states of India. We are based in Andhra Pradesh. And these pastors go through very difficult situations, but they're so... Um, Motivated just to share the gospel. Many of them have two, three churches. And uh, we had a pastor come to us. We gave him, um, was it a bicycle or a motorcycle? Because he would walk 14 kilometers, right, kilometers a day to go to other villages to share the gospel. I don't know how many miles that is, but he would walk. Old man. So we 
provided him a bicycle, and we try to provide bicycles, motorcycles, just to help these pastors do their work faster, reach more villages, plant more churches. And we have, uh, we started something new a couple years ago, because as the economy was affected here, we are also affected, and we weren't able to give our pastors their monthly support anymore. And in that time, some of them had to work, and one of them went to the fields to work. And the villagers came after him and killed him, one of our pastors, trained in our Bible school. And um, I brutally killed him, warned his family not to tell anybody. We didn't find out for about a month. And his wife would not leave the village. She wanted to go back and keep serving the Lord there. Another pastor was killed this last year. Um, his wife, they're coming back from a funeral, and... They brutally killed him. I don't like to give the details. Um, And they beat her very badly. She was unconscious. And uh, so um, we take care of his wife, his children, and we've helped her to start a little store in her village so that she can provide for her family. We're helping her daughter so that she can go to medical school. She wants to be a doctor. They're from a very remote tribal area. We want to help her so she can go back to her village and serve there. So um, something we started just to help these pastors is monthly sponsorship for $50 a month. Um, If any of you want to help us to provide, that's how much it costs actually to provide for a pastor in a remote area to take care of his family, food, and, and just the basic needs. And some of these children are with us in our children's home because they, they cannot send them to school. It's, it's a very difficult living conditions, no Medicare. So we also have sponsorship for children, the children that are in our home. We have around 200 of them, precious children, and we train them to be warriors you know, sharing the gospel. They're, they love the Lord. Very disciplined children. And for $25 a month, um, we can provide everything that a child needs. So if anyone wants to help with us, that we'd, you're, you're welcome to do so. And appreciate your prayers, um, especially for with the persecution. There's always something going on in India. 2008, there was a huge outbreak of persecution. And then this last year, again, especially... In um, Orissa, the state of Orissa, there was pockets of persecution, and our, our pastor, our church members were affected and beaten. And um, one of the one lady who um, had lost her one and a half a family, their one and a half year old daughter died. They were trying to bury her in their village, and the Hindu villagers came against them and said, "We don't want this Christian burial in our village." With their superstitions, they don't want that. So they beat them, and they they beat her, the mother, who was pregnant, eight months pregnant. And so a week or so later, she lost that baby as well. And it was just a horrible situation. And we were just praying, and we were really actually praying that God would touch the lives of those who beat them. And just two weeks ago, we were in Texas, and we called our pastor in that area to see how things are going there. And he said, those who, those who beat her got saved and baptized. And in that very strong Hindu village, they're now building a church. 
and the pastor said they have the walls up and they just need some help to complete the roof and they're just thrilled how God changed that situation. So in spite of persecution, or we know persecution actually strengthens the church and helps God do so much more. So um, just please pray for those who are persecuted. God will give them grace to go through it and then use it for good in their lives, in their villages, to touch the people. So thank you so much for having us. Thank you, CJ and Lisa and family, and thank you, Pastor Dale and Teresa. Friends, it's worth suffering for the gospel. There's nothing better as suffering than to suffer for the gospel. Because gospel is the key. Gospel brings life. To give life, laying down our lives, it's worth. Many people die for many things. Things that doesn't value anything for the eternity. But suffering for Jesus and laying down our lives for the purpose of the gospel. It's a water privilege. Water privilege. Not many people will get that privilege of suffering for the gospel. But thank God for those who are suffering, not only in India, and uh, there are many countries around the world. I was in the Middle East. Uh, I was in Iraq for three, eight, three, eight, three years, eight months. I was an underground missionary, went to work for the government of Iraq for their health ministry when Saddam Hussein was the president. And I have seen what the gospel can do. I was in Sierra Leone. Uh, we planted 29 churches there. We started two schools. We started involving there in church plants. And uh, it's basically a Muslim country with a Muslim president before. It's a rich country with poor people. Some of you might have seen and heard the Blood Diamond, the movie of the Blood Diamonds. That's what's done there. And uh, we went there and we started working with the native uh, African brothers there. After we started 29 churches and started schools, impacting the community, they had elections a year and a half ago, year ago. And it is the first time in the history of that country, in a Muslim country, a Christian man became the president. Last October, I was in that country, and they wanted me to, to meet with the president of the country. And we, I went to see him. Uh, to the president's palace and he shook my hand and he said, I am honored to see you. I was like, I didn't know how to address a president. And I was just, uh, you know, first time I went to the president's palace and uh, he said, I'm honored to see you. And then he explained to me, he said, I'm here as the president of this nation today. It's because of you, he said. It shook me. And he explained to me, he said, you took our people three of our leaders to India, trained them for three months, sent them back to our country. They went to the villages preaching the gospel, planting churches. And people have seen the goodness of God, the love of God. And they elected me as a Christian to be the president of this nation. The gospel changes the destiny of the nations. The gospel is the only hope for any nation, any color. What the world is facing today, it's not the political crisis, economical crisis. 
but the devil always brings our concentration towards that what the world is facing is the problem of god they don't have a relationship with god it's a it's a spiritual problem when that spiritual problem is solved when people understand who god is what god has done when people understand the sacrifice that was made on the cross through the lamb that was slain 2000 years ago when people understand the love of god through the death of jesus christ on the cross through the shed blood that changes everything that's the gospel and that's what is happening i hear news and people talking to me this trip specially when i'm going from place to place we were in texas many people started telling hey india is going to be a, a very uh, a super power in the days to come i mean india is was a heathen country it's a people a country of with so many people but so poor it's known for its poverty known for its idols but now the people are talking about india it's going to be uh financially economically it, it's going to be a, the powerful country and i see why they are saying it the reason is the gospel is in being preached there the lifestyle of the people are changing the truth of the gospel has been been proclaimed and people could able to see the change in that nation today and it is developing it's because of the gospel because people are willing to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel and i was born in a family in india we have a caste system i'm considered to be untouchable the lowest of the low and many times these people they don't they don't they don't live with all other community we live in a separate colonies and uh, we cannot go to all schools that other people go and when i was growing up as a small kid i had no food for 3 days 4 days in a week that is normal and we are a family with five children the i think the whole stage the size of the stage was my hut that's all our house for seven people five kids mom and dad we slept on the floor it was a thatched roof no walls around my house when it rains it used to rain inside of my house some of our good friends especially in the rainy season are the frogs rats sometimes snakes but they are also hindus though they by caste they are uh, untouchables but by religion they are hindus they used to worship the same hindu gods all this high caste hindu people worship my dad was highly respected in his own community he was a leader to his untouchable community he used to oversee seven untouchable villages he also used to take their uh, spiritual responsibilities that's why though he was not officially allowed to be a hindu priest he was forced to be a hindu priest for his untouchable community because the high caste hindu priest never used to come to do the priestly responsibilities in this hindu temple because this temple was located in an untouchable community as they were going on the life was moving and uh, it happened to my dad one day you know thank god for the black color 
of people. I love you guys. And thank God for the Browns. God created us too. He loves us. But you know, thank, I personally want to thank God for all the white people here. You know, I'm not racially discriminative. No, I'm not talking about race, uh, racial things here. But the, but the sacrifices these European countries and the North Americans made to send out missionary after missionary after missionary after missionary. The reason we heard the gospel is because of these missionaries coming out. And God sent a white Baptist missionary all the way from Canada to talk to my father first time about Jesus. My dad never heard the name of Jesus before. My dad had an opportunity to hear the name of Jesus first time in his life through this great man of God that sacrificed everything. Living in India in those days, man, even now this is difficult. There's no comparison between the western countries and India. If you just put a little water from our drink in your mouth, you get sick even now. So we give you water to water when you come to India. But in those days when there were no facilities, difficult. And a missionary came and shared the gospel with my father by the side of the road. And my dad heard the name of Jesus first time. And you know, friends, we all know as Christians, gospel has a power. When you mention the name of Jesus, when you mention the name of Jesus, this is the name above every name. It's a powerful name. You don't need to add anything to the name of Jesus. His name, powerful name, about every name, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord for the glory of the Father. When this missionary mentioned the name of Jesus to my father, and when he explained what Jesus has done on the cross, dying on the cross, being nailed to the cross, Shedding till the last drop of his blood for the sake of the remission of the sins of my father. As this missionary was sharing to my dad, thank God, God, Father in heaven, opened the heart of my father. And my father gave his heart to the Lord. That was an amazing experience to my dad. But poor daddy, he didn't realize what he was getting into. You know, it added more misery to his untouchable, untouchable and rejection life. And now his own untouchable community excommunicated him. His own family. I was not born by them. They had four kids, my mom, and his own family disowned him. My dad went through a lot of physical persecution for the sake of the gospel. But I tell you, friends, Jesus is not a religion. We all know as Christians. It's not a culture. It's not religion. It's a relationship with the living God. Jesus was so true and real to my dad. He was willing to go through everything that he has to go through rather than to give up on Jesus. He stood for the truth of the gospel. What he believed is real, true, and relationship. Yes, he was living there, a single Christian man, among this untouchable community, people started watching his life. And many of them slowly attracted towards Christ. And he started a small Baptist church in that untouchable community. 
And the Lord gave me as their last son after my father became a Christian. And my name means, Yesu means Jesus. Father means foot. Jesus foot. That's the desire of my dad for my life. He wanted me to be the foot of Jesus, walking in the streets of India, proclaiming this glorious gospel, telling people that Jesus is the Lord. No other name under heaven given except the name of Jesus, where people shall be saved. You know, that was my dad's desire. That's what he wanted for my life. But friends, I tell you, when you grow up with uh, such a poverty, untouchability, rejection, I never, never felt loved as I was growing up as a child. Everything I see is rejection, rejection, rejection. Hurt, pain, no food, suffering. I remember one day thinking to myself, at least if the God, my father believes, he's a true and living God, why should he make me to live born in a family like this and suffer like I'm suffering? Why I can't go and play with all other children? Why can't I go to the, ch- the school with all other children? You know, you can leave friend without food, but you cannot live with rejection all your life. What we need is love and to be accepted. At the age of 10, I was walking to school. I could not walk because I don't remember how many days I did not have food. I fainted in the middle of the road, dying with starvation. India is a country of people. Everywhere you see people. Many people might have seen me dying on the street. Nobody wanted to touch me, help me, because I'm an untouchable kid. But thank God. I'm not untouchable for God. God in His mercy sent another missionary all the way from Canada. Is any Canadians here besides my wife and kids? <laughs> Thank God for the Canadians that sent out missionaries to our country. Thank God for Baptists that sent out so many missionaries in those days. And he was going in a jeep with his family. And he saw me like a day. He thought I was dead in the middle of the road. I was unconscious, it seems. But he came down to find out that I still had life. I was breathing. I was unconscious. I was breathing. I was 10, an untouchable kid dying in the middle of the road with starvation. But for this Canadian missionary, I was not an untouchable. I was a divine plan of God for his life. He came down, he touched me, he carried me in his hands. He drove me to a hospital, kept me there for two weeks. He paid the money. He never knew me before. He never knew my family. We read about Good Samaritan story in the Bible. Thank God we still have Good Samaritans. That's why the gospel is being preached everywhere around the world today. And he brought me back after two weeks. He left. I don't remember him telling about Jesus. I don't remember, but he helped me. You would think after that incident, I would accept Jesus. I didn't. After one year, 
I became a communist rather. A communist man came to me and he told me about communism. He told me many things, two things I remember. He said, there is no caste system in communism. There is no rich and a poor difference in communism. He said, if you become a communist, we will all, all be called as comrades. And he said, we are all likes the same. And the philosophy of the communists in India is kill the rich, feed the poor. They, they, they teach you hatredness. They teach you prejudice. They make you feel like that you, don't, that you need to do something against this community. Come against them. Well, I know I, I was so convinced with everything he said. I took the blade. I cut my finger with my blade. And with, I wrote my name on a piece of white paper making a, a blood covering to be a, a communist. Communism still is very strong in India. There is a communist group called Naxalites. They have in Nepal also. Maoists. Naxalites is the extreme group of the communists who undergo, who go underground, fight against governments. They want to take power uh, uh, by force. And I became a group, uh, one of the, those groups. I joined with this group and, uh, until I was 23 and a half. I was very actively involved with that group, even to the point of seeing blood of many people with these eyes and these hands killing people. I thought that was my life. That's all I wanted to do. I was angry. I was bitter. I didn't know what, how to handle that. I just wanted to take revenge. My dad was so disappointed. He wanted me to be a Christian preaching gospel. But when I became a communist and gang leader, I, I was one of the main leaders in the city of 2.5 million people. Plotting, planning and involving and doing everything. Training people, recruiting people, young people, training them to be the communists. Teaching them hatred. But my dad never gave up on me. You know, it's such an appropriate day to talk to you about my dad. My dad was poor, but not poor in God. He was such a godly man, such a prayerful man. He always told me, son, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He always remind, reminded me, son, you need to serve the Lord. I did not kill any Christians, but I hated them because I thought that's also one of the other religions that doesn't have nothing to do with the love. And so, but my dad always, he was, he was not, he was disappointed, but he never gave up on me. Daddies, please don't give up on your children. Don't ever give up on your children. They need us. They need us. Respect of how they behave. Respect of what they do. They need us. Don't give up. Father in heaven will reward you one day. I was 23 and a half. No desire for God. No desire for religion. Actively involved in underground activities. But Jesus who came to seek. He not only came to save alone. 
but he came to seek and save that which was lost. I didn't understand until that day he was seeking for me, trying to draw my attention through this missionary or different situations. But that day was so real, my friends. I saw Jesus with open eyes. 1976, January 26, around 1.30 in the noontime, I was sitting in the chair, looked towards the sky. I saw a shape of a man hanging on the cross. I did not see his face, but very clear shape of a man hanging on the cross. And I thought to myself, it could be Jesus. There was a battle between my eyes and my brain. My communist brain was telling, no, that's your imagination. There's no God. This is all, this is not real. And my eyes were looking at that says, no, this is real. But God did not leave me in a confusion. As if somebody zoomed a lens, I saw the hand of my Lord. Yes, clear as you see my hand today. And I saw the nail in the hand of my Savior. And I saw blood drop after drop coming down from the nail torn hand of the sweet Jesus. And I heard an audible voice that day. He did not call me alcoholic, murderer, communist, but he called me son. He said, son, I have done all this for you. What will you do for me? That word son broke my heart, brought tears to my eyes. This notorious murderer, communist leader, sitting there crying like a baby. Those tears never stop. The tears that started 34 years ago never stop. That day I realized that Jesus is real. Jesus is true. And I spoke back to him. I said, Lord, now I know you are God. I said, I don't know how long I live in this world. But till the last breath of my life. As long as I'm alive, I will believe in you. And I will tell my people that you are God. God's love is amazing, friends. Paul says, it's so high, I can't go over that. It's so low, I can't go under that. It's so wide, I cannot go around that. God's love to me is wonderful. God's love to me is wonderful. God's love. To me is wonderful God's love to me. It's so high, I can't go over that. It's so deep, I can't go under that. It's so wide, I can't go around that. God's love to me. Amazing God's love came to save a sinner like me. A wretch like me. And that day, I gave my heart to the Lord totally, unconditionally. Since that day, I had only one desire. 
I have only one desire. I want the young men and women to hear these words. I had only one desire. I was 23 and a half. Since that day till today, the Lord will help me until the last breath of my life. Only one desire to live for the Lord. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs. And I thought, you know, I would live for Jesus and uh, I left the road, I left the chair, went to the street corner, clapping and calling people and telling them that Jesus spoke to me, Jesus is the Lord, believe in Jesus. A communist, notorious communist leader, standing on the roadside and calling people, telling people about God. The man who said, no God, and everybody knows me for my activities, and they literally thought I lost my mind. <laughs> And I'm still crazy for Jesus. I don't care what people think. I don't care what you think. <laughs> it's all matters what Jesus thinks about us. Amen? Who cares what people think? Nobody helped me when I needed help. It was Jesus alone who came and helped me. It is Jesus alone who visited me. It is Jesus alone who spoke to me. It is Jesus alone who changed me. It is Jesus alone still for me who is not against me. What it matters to me, what people think about me. So, and that's the beginning of my walk with the Lord. It's not been easy. It's not been easy. These communists are, they came and put gun to my head and they said they wanted me to decide what I want. I want life. <laughs> or I want death. <laughs> what do you want? You want Jesus? And then, you know, five people came and couple of them were trained by me. I looked to them and I said, you know, now you know me better. And uh, to make the long story short, by God's grace, two of them gave their hearts to the Lord. The gun fell down. Gave their hearts. Three threatened me not to tell the secrets to the government and the police. And I told them, hey, I have nothing to do anymore with the communism. I will talk about Jesus. So don't worry about that. And by the grace of God, all these years, and you know, I had a broken head. I had six stitches here. I was stoned. People took rocks and stoned. And people put, uh, you know, came knives. And even after we got married, a lot of threats on my life. But by the grace of God, I'm still alive. And as long as I'm alive, I just want to share the gospel. I, that's my heart. That's my desire. And you may be asking, why am I here? I'm not here, friends. We, we do need a lot of money for the work we are doing. We prepare 1,500 meals a day. We serve 1,500 meals a day just in India. Besides all the work I have around the world. But I'm not here to raise money. I'm thankful for the friends putting up an offering box there to help us. We need help. But I want to tell you, I'm not here. God did not bring me here to raise money for the ministry for India. If it is just for money, I don't come here. You have many missionaries coming. I know you are helping many missionaries. I want to thank you for your willingness to help us. We need help. But that's not the purpose I am here. When God spoke to me, he showed me five other countries. USA, Canada, Sweden, South Africa, West Germany. I never went to this. I never knew these countries. But I read the names of these countries. 
first time I realized that God wanted me to think about the other nations, not just India. And I started praying, God brought me here. So why I am here? For only one reason, to remind you that God has not forgotten these nations. God has a plan for this country. This country, the nation of America, is in the perfect plan of God. God has raised this nation, the youngest country, maybe one of the very youngest countries in the world, to be the superpower, to reach, to change, or to influence the nations of the world for only one purpose, not for the political influence, not for the economical influence. It is for the spiritual influence. That way, God, when they found this nation, it was founded on the principles of the scripture. It is founded by the godly men and women, prayerful men and women, who wants to see the gospel being preached from this nation to the nations of the world. Because of this country, I'm doing what I'm doing by the grace of God in India and around the world because of this country. The generosity of the people, the praying people, people that say brother, people that say, that say my friend, my families, people that love on us, people that stand with us, people that pray for us, people that support us. There's no country in the world that doesn't receive Spiritual help from this great nation. Church of the living God. I don't want you to look around what is happening. When you look around, you look like, what is happening here? The every problem, economical problem, you know, it's, it's the fear. The enemy wants to bring fear into the hearts of the Christians. We don't belong to this world. We belong to heaven. We belong to God. We are the kingdom of God. We are the children of the living God. We must be, we must be uh, dominated by the things of God, not the things of the world. Especially when I go to churches, when you look around, sometimes you wonder, what is happening to this country? Friends, God is eternal. His plan is eternal. His purposes are eternal. He's still on the throne. No power on earth can stand before the power of the living God to change the plan and purposes of God. I tell you, friends, the president of the nations has the power to do certain things, but they cannot change the plan and purposes of God. As long as Christians stand for the truth of the gospel. Because gospel is the power of God unto salvation to change even the prime ministers, the presidents, the kings and the queens around the world. Because they are also created by only one true and living God. He's still alive. I don't serve a dead God. I serve the God who is alive. Jesus, when he was alive, he told the disciples very clearly. He told them, we made, he made it very clear to them that he was going to die, but he will rise again. The time came. He was caught. They started beating him, carrying the cross. They nailed him to the cross. They buried him. Then came confusion. 
among all his disciples who has seen the signs and wonders. They watched Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. They watched Jesus healing the blind. They watched Jesus, the leprosy being healed. They were a part of the great miracle working power of Jesus Christ. And the time came. He has to be crucified and buried. There's a lot of confusion everywhere. They were fearful, hiding. Jesus, as he said, he was risen. He was not in tomb anymore. It's an empty tomb. I went there, I saw the tomb, I said, Jesus, thank you. I was invited by the government of Israel to be their guest for one week. I had a privilege entering into their parliament. I spoke to the conference there. I went there, I saw that. I saw, it's an empty tomb. Disciples everywhere, there was a fear gripped in the hearts of the Christians there. Because their leader was not with them anymore. They have forgotten that he said he will, live, he, will, he will be resurrected. After Jesus resurrected, he lived for 40 days and nights. The scripture tells us very clearly. And he showed himself alive at least 10 times to the disciples. I want to share one incident before I close. At the end of the day, after Jesus resurrected, there are a couple of disciples. They, they, they were leaving Jerusalem. Because they want to go back home. You read it in Luke chapter 24. They were going back home because they were so discouraged. They thought there, they, there's, there's no more Jesus. Might have thought, what a mistake we made. We left everything and followed Jesus. And here, he's no more here. They heard that he has risen. The ladies came and told them that their tomb was empty. Mary the Magdalene came and told the disciples that she saw Jesus, she spoke to him. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe his word. When he said that, he shared when he was alive. They did not believe the words of the ladies that had seen risen Jesus. They did not believe that the empty tomb. They were going back home. Friends, that's what the enemy wants to do sometimes in our lives. You did not make a mistake. In accepting Jesus, our personal Savior and Lord. You have not made a mistake. You did not believe a man who is a deceiver. He is a trustworthy God. He is a promise-fulfilling God. He is the God who is alive. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is still alive. He stands with His word. Since because you have not seen Him for three days, don't think of giving up. Because of the Problems around you because of what you're going through. Don't think of them. Let not the devil deceive you. They left Jerusalem. They were going to Emmaus. My Bible tells me Jesus followed them. He was with them. He walked with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives. They thought he was not there and he went with him. But they were sad because they left Jesus. They decided to leave Jerusalem, go back to their own places, because they did not see risen Jesus. Friends, if you don't feel Jesus in some certain times of your life, and you go through some trials, temptations, which is a part of Christian life, if you don't feel, don't doubt Jesus. Don't try to leave him. But he could not afford to lose them because he paid his life 
as a price to buy them. We are bought with price. Not with silver and gold. And he followed them. And he walked almost like a seven, eight miles with them. Talking to them. Talking to them from the scriptures. Telling what Moses has written about him. He was teaching them scriptures. Being Jesus with them. Came to a place. I want to read you just one verse. It says in verse 32. And they said one to another. Did not our hearts burn within us? Did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked with us along the way. And while he opened to us the scriptures. When he opened to us the scriptures. When he was teaching us the scriptures. When he walking with us. When he was talking with us, did not our hearts burn? What does the word of God do? What does the Jesus do? He burns our hearts. The reason today is we have gone too far from the plan and purposes of, from the word of God. We have given ourselves to the vanities, vanity things. There's not much value in the churches today. For the word of God. When you preach the word. When you teach the word. When you do what Jesus did. He preached the kingdom of God. He shared the gospel with the people. We think that the gospel is the old world story. Yes, it's the old world story. It is still alive. This is the gospel that is alive today. Changing lives around the world. They were thinking to themselves, did not our hearts burn? When did they realize? They didn't realize when he was with them. They didn't realize when he was teaching to them, when he was walking with them. But something happened in the middle. They invited him. It's the evening. And they said, it's evening. Come and stay with us tonight. Come and eat with us tonight. And they invited him. They went, he went inside. He, they sat. And my Bible tells me, he took the bread and he broke it. And immediately, they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat eating with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it. And gave it to them. And their eyes were open. When did they realize that their hearts were burning? When their eyes were open. When did their eyes were open? When the bread was broken. When was the bread broken? After it was blessed. When it was blessed? After they invited him into their house. What happens when you invite Jesus into your life? Doesn't matter what situation you're in. Doesn't matter how you feel. Invite Jesus. Invite Jesus. Constrain him. He's not a thief to come in. He will never break in, my friends. He will never break into your heart. Invite him. Invite him in your troubles. Invite him in your disappointments. Invite him in your problems. Invite him. He's waiting for you to invite him. He will come in. He will sit with you. 
He will bless you. He will break the bread. And that will open your eyes. And it says immediately they saw him. And he makes all dramas. Man, he disappeared there. They saw him and he disappeared. But they started realizing something. They realized that their hearts were burning. Why the church is sitting idle? Why the Christians have so much time? They didn't know what to do. That's why they're doing all kinds of other stuff. If your heart is burning, you will run for Jesus, my friend. The next verse tells me, it says, when their eyes were open, their hearts were burning, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They started going back to the place they left, back to Jerusalem, back to God's presence, back to God's peace. They were going back, and I don't think they would be walking like this when they were going back to Jerusalem. They were sad when they left Jerusalem, but now they have sinned because the excitement in their hearts, when they went back to Jerusalem, they were knocking on the doors. The disciples were in fear, closed their doors. They were in upper room, fearful. To the Jewish community, they thought they would also kill them. And these people came and started knocking the doors. And they said, we have seen the risen Jesus indeed. What a testimony, friend. They are not saying, we heard somebody told us. They didn't say, ladies told us. No, we have seen the risen Jesus indeed. That's excitement for every Christian, my friend. If you have seen, yeah, you have understood, if you experienced the risen Jesus, you cannot sit back and relax and say, let the world die, I will live for myself. I'm here for only one reason, my friends. To remind you the unchanging love of God. The unchanging plan of God for this nation. The nation of America, we need you. American church, we need you. People around the world needs you. You are chosen by God for the purposes of God. You are chosen as a spokesperson for the kingdom of God. This is only, there's no other, there's no other currency in the world. I have, lack, I, have lack of, I have a currency of different nations in my bag because I travel to different countries. There's no currency in the world that says in God we trust. I don't care what the people are thinking now, but I tell you, this is God's plan for this nation. To trust God. To live for the purposes of God. Doesn't matter how the things look like today, but I tell you one thing, basing on the plan and purposes of God, basing on the word of God, knowing the promises of God, no power on earth can come against us the power of our resurrected Jesus Christ. Nobody can stop the plan of God in the lives of this country. This is my prayer, my friend, that the country of America, the church in America, will come back to God. Come back to God. Do not go away from the plan and purpose. Come back to God. Back to the basics. Back to Jerusalem. With a burning heart, opened eyes, running back, knocking the doors, telling people that I have seen the risen Jesus. And Jesus is going to do that. How many of you believe that?
The Lord is going to. That's a God plan of God. That's why the Lord is bringing people like us to remind, to remind you that God is still on the throne. God still reigns. God still rules. God still under control. God is everything under control of God. But the time for the church to come back to the word, let your eyes be open. Let your hearts be burning. Let your feet be running. Let your hands be knocking. Let your mouth proclaim that I have seen the risen Jesus indeed. It's an empty tomb. That's my heart for the church today. Shall we all stand up, please? That's my prayer. I want the eyes of the Christians to be open. I want the hearts of the Christians to be burning. I want the feet of the Christians to be running. Back to God. Back to Jerusalem. This is not, we are not dealing with religion.